When I became the submarine commander, one of the things you do is you walk around, you have a flashlight and you kind of shine it into the little dark corners in the bilge to see what's down there and all the monsters, rust that's growing down there. And when I showed up on the Santa Fe, they gave me this weak flashlight. You kind of had to tap it a few times and make <laughs> for the light to come on. <laughs> I was like, this is no good. A government issued weak batteries. So I went to Home Depot and I bought this huge mag light and you basically had to call the power company before you turn it on because that <laughs> took so much energy and it was bright as the sun and so I could walk around and we could at least see things but it became a metaphor for not being afraid to look in the dark places. Hello and welcome to Fishy Business, a series dedicated to exploring the lesser known side of cybersecurity. I'm Alice. I'm Brian, and we're colleagues at Mimecast. Every episode will be joined by a special visitor who is definitely not your average guest to share tales of risk, reward, and ridiculousness. <laughs> we'll be looking for new ways to think about cybersecurity to learn how we can all improve in the fight to stay safe. Brian, how many people do you have in your team now? Gosh, you're putting me on the spot. I should know this because I've just been in a, a meeting room with them. I've got uh, six direct reports and there's around 22 other members of the overall sales engineering team. So I think that adds up to just under about 30 people, which is kind of small fry in comparison to our guest today, who was in charge of hundreds of personnel on nuclear enabled submarines. Indeed. Our guest today is David Marquet, a retired United States Navy captain and the best-selling author of multiple books, including Turn the Ship Around, which reviews hailed as one of the best business books of all time. And last but not least, he champions the idea of intent-based leadership, uh, which we're going to dive into today in quite a bit of detail, hopefully. Welcome, David. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on your show. Thank you so much for coming. Well, we can't wait to get stuck in. We always like to start by maybe taking a bit of a step back and asking you, how would you explain your current job or your previous jobs at a dinner party, for example? Uh, my current job? <laughs> it depends if I want to talk to the person. If, if, I, <laughs> if I want to, if I want to, I usually I say I'm an author or something like that. If I want to spark a conversation, if I don't, if I want to shut it down, I tell them I'm a consultant. <laughs> Brilliant. And how would you explain to them your past history and your past career? I was a control freak. I was addicted <laughs> to control. I was really good at being in control. I was really good at giving people orders. I came up through the Navy. I was trained. This is my aspiration was to be able to give clear, precise orders, which compelled the team to do what my brilliant ideas would be then executed by the team. And uh, I had this life altering opportunity where I realized that that was a limiting, severely limiting way of interacting as a team. So maybe we could dive, you know, dial things back a little bit, you know, take a few steps back and maybe tell us a little bit more about yourself, how you got your start. I mean, the one thing, sorry, I just have to say this. When I first saw you, you did a, a seminar for the, the leadership team at Bimecast. I thought clearly they choose Navy captains who look a little bit more like me than they look like Russell Crowe. But how did you get your start? What was the kind of uh, the process? How, what did that look like? I grew up in the 70s in the United States. It was a depressing, depressing time. We had uh, high inflation. We had uh, political woes. We had oil crisis. And we had the Cold War. 
And I really wanted to do my part. Now, I was one of those kids in high school who after school would go to the chess club and the math team and that kind of thing. And uh, so I was a geek and an introvert. And when I decided I was going to do my part, i.e. join the military, it was scary, but I found these things called submarines, which hide from people. That's their job. So I signed up for the submarines and I show up at the Naval Academy. I mean, I'd never seen anything like this. This is a giant institution with these huge granite buildings. And they hand me this book that says leadership is directing, can be defined as directing the thoughts, plans, and actions of others. And I kind of scratched my head at that, but what, you know, who was I to question that? I was 17 years old. This was the definition since before World War II. And uh, I set about learning to be really good at directing other people's thoughts, plans, and actions. And as a result of being successful with that, the Navy promoted me and they said, oh, we're going to make you a submarine commander, which of course, that was my dream. That was the cool, coolest thing you could do in the Cold War is to be a submarine commander. And that's what I set my path for. So that, that's, kind of the, that's kind of the preamble. And then, and then I found out that giving orders can get you in big trouble. I'd love to delve into that a bit deeper. What kind of trouble have you been into? Well, <laughs> it begs the question. So here's what happened. Now we all know as leaders, hey, if you make a mistake and you're, if you have this idea, my job is to make decisions and I make a bad decision, then obviously the solution is give better, make better decisions. I, I had a journey where I was after 11 and a half months of training to go to one submarine, I got diverted and said, no, you're going to be the captain of a different submarine. The submarine, by the way, worst morale, worst performance, and one you don't know. It's, a diff it's one of the newest ships in the fleet. And Navy didn't overtly recognize this, but I'd never even stepped foot on this class of submarine. And all the buttons were different. We had missile system I'd never seen. We had a reactor plant I'd never seen. We had... Uh, sonar system I never seen, all, on and on. So I show up and the crew's demoralized because their captain quit abruptly. That's why I had to go there. And I'm petrified because I'm standing on, on a, a broken, I'm leaning on a broken staff. My ability to give, make good decisions isn't inhibited by the fact that I actually don't know the specific details of something, but I'm kind of like hoping it's all basically the same. And I start giving orders and I make a mistake, nothing bad happens, but the officer who I, who I invited to give this order knew it was a wrong order. That was the thing that emerged. And this was the thing that blew my mind. And we say, oh, that would never happen here in my organization because we order people to speak up when we say, think it's wrong. And like, yeah, that's not what happens. Every once in a while, someone does, and then you have evidence. You All you see is affirming evidence. Oh, look, someone spoke up. 12 months ago, I remember there was someone who spoke up. But you don't see all the disconfirming evidence when people don't speak up, even though they think something's wrong. And so if you want to make something easier for people, or I want to make people do something more, you got to make it easier for them. Me telling people what to do, and then, and then forcing them to say, no, Captain, that's not a good idea, was not the way to do it. I had to make a commitment to not give any orders. Now, you have never seen a movie where the, the captain of the ship, the CEO of the company, the head of the army unit, whatever it is, never gives an order. 
So this was not this is not something that you most people have a picture of what it looks like. But what happens is the team starts coming to me every day, say, here's what we think, here's what we here's what we see, here's what we think, is what we intend to do. Intent was our magic statement. Because when you when the team says, here's what we intend to do, it obviates the need for me to give the order. I just nod my head or I walk away. It doesn't matter. Absent a response of no, the answer is yes. Most organizations are permission-based organizations and they weigh themselves down by the need to get permission before we can effing do anything, which is designed to prevent action. And then we say, why is there no action here? Why are people not being bold? Being bold? Why are they not uh, coming up with great ideas is because the organization is operating in a way which is specifically designed to prevent action. So David, you asked a crew member what they did on board the submarine that you were leading. And uh, if I recall correctly, answered whatever they tell me to do or, or kind of words to that effect. And, and that's, of course, not very ideal from a, a leadership <laughs> perspective. Yeah. But you also say that the person in question uh, should also take responsibility for their frustrations, you know, not just blaming leadership. You maybe kind of elaborate a bit on that. Yeah, that that really pissed me off. I so I haven't <laughs> taken over yet. I have two weeks. I was trained for twelve months to be a submarine captain of a specific ship, and then they say, "Oh no, no! In two weeks, you got to go over to the Santa Fe." And I'm, my mind is in the tizzy. I'm very uncomfortable. I'm walking, and I just decided to spend the time walking around the ship and talking to people rather than really try, because there, there was no way for me to learn everything. So I said, well, might as well not learn anything. So I'm just walking around talking about it. And I, I meet in the engine room, I meet the petty officer and I would ask these open questions like, hey, what do you, you know, what do you do? I mean, obviously I could tell from his ranking insignia generally what he did, but I always wanted to hear how people responded to that. He says, Whatever they told me to do, he sort of proudly said that. And he was a pretty senior uh, enlisted man. And this crystallized exactly what was wrong on the submarine. Now, we say as leaders, we're, we have two personalities because we'll, say, we'll, we'll object, oh no, I really want you to think. But secretly, I do want you to do what I tell you to do something. I don't want a lot of, quote, pushback and challenging and all that kind of stuff. So in a sense, it's the environment we've created. In the industrial age, we divided humanity into two, the thinkers and the doers, management followers, white collar, blue collar. We put them in different uniforms. We said, you guys make the decisions and you guys do what these other people tell you to do. It's a fundamentally coercive structure. And then we just replicate that. So I go to tech companies today and they're still having all hands meetings, which is a way old Navy term for getting everyone on deck to pull the anchor up because we needed your what? Hand. I would submit that's not what tech companies hire people for. Yeah, it's quite funny. We use terminology that uh, comes back. Uh, we talk about theaters of operations and someone thought that was because of all the drama, but it's actually, a, <laughs> it's actually obviously a military term. Um, and I think that's quite an interesting point that you make though. You know, a lot of the things that you talk about that people do say, oh, well, that's obviously the Navy and that's or, or the, or the military, and that doesn't necessarily apply in a tech company or any other kind of company, but it very much does. You know, what is it about leadership that is so interesting to you and why do you think it is so universal and, and that these kind of lessons do apply beyond just the Navy um, or, or, or you know, managing, 
managing listen to me commanding a submarine it's leadership is fundamentally creating an environment where people can be at their best the way they are and the vehicle for executing leadership is language leadership is not a theory leadership is not a concept leadership is not a set of values leadership is a language doesn't matter what you think i jokingly say oh yeah i thought about buying amazon in 1999 it doesn't matter what you thought it only matters what you do and what you say when it comes to interacting with other people so if someone comes up to you and says yeah i'm not so sure you told us the other day that you want us to do abc or we're going to add this feature and i'm not so sure it's a good idea how do you respond right then that's leadership do you respond with well no no let me explain it again or you might ask well did you think about this but it all comes from a framework of i'm right and you're wrong and i need to quote enlighten you as opposed to a framework of maybe you have a point and maybe you're actually right because you're closer to it than I am. You're, you're in the code, you're writing the code. I'm just supervising the team that's writing the code. And I can imagine, um, you know, in my team, for example, we love having open discussion, sharing everybody's ideas, sharing knowledge. Um, and, you know, essentially we're all kind of looking to be on an even level, like nobody's voice carries more weight than anybody else. I can imagine, say, for example, if something is maybe going wrong and you people have that urge to say, give an order or give an instruction, how can they best avoid doing that? And again, go back to the group to get what their intention is. Well, you could, I, it depends on the situation when things are going wrong. I mean, if you need to give an order, give an order. We, we, we don't think giving orders is bad. What we think is bad is designing the organization. So that direction and reporting back is the default. So Brian, to pick on you a little bit, you described, you said, Hey, I think I have six direct reports. I mean, why do you use that term direct reports? Oh, because I direct and they report it's embedded in our language in so many different ways. And we sort of gloss over it without really even thinking about it. So I would rather you have six in, intentional, you could call them followers or leaders or subordinates, but the people who, who you give, Hey, here's the organization's intent and they come back to you. So you can give orders. If you give, and by the way, if you do give an order, don't don't pretend like you're not. That's one of the worst things you oh, I think what we should do is blah, blah, blah. What you really mean is what I want you to do is blah, blah, blah. So I say, don't say that. Just say, I need you to do this. Then I would go back and say, well, why, why was I thrust in the role of giving orders? I always try and felt, I always felt like as a, as a leader of a team, you have two pedals, a gas pedal and a brake pedal. And, and I always spend so much time on the gas. Go, 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 go. We're not going fast enough. We aren't doing it enough. We're not, we're not achieving enough. We're not doing the right thing. Go, 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 go. And when you're lower in the organization, I think you want to be, have that gas pedal. Once you get, if you're the most senior person though, you do not want a gas pedal because as soon as you hit the gas, the team is then biased and you are too towards doing that thing, even if it's not the right thing. If the person below you says, hey, let's hit the gas in this direction. You can have a dispassionate brake pedal. All you wanted as a captain of the submarine, all I wanted was a brake pedal, no gas pedal. If I felt I was giving the gas pedal. It's basically I'm pulling the goalie because there's no, there's no line of defense behind me. There's no one who's going to say we're doing the wrong thing. But if I had to, I did it. 
And then we would say uh, why that happened. But David, I mean, one of the things I've, I see a lot of people grappling with and, and making the statement in, in my view, probably incorrectly, you ask them why a certain decision is being made a certain way or a certain protocol is happening. They say, oh, it's intent-based leadership, where if you read your book, it almost seems to be the, the, the exact opposite. Uh, nobody's asking for, for, for input. Uh, in fact, what it is is directive. So if you had to kind of explain intent-based leadership in a nutshell, um, what, what would that be exactly? If you could summarize it in, a, in, in you know, just a sentence Lead, or two. Leaders give intent and the team states how they intend to achieve it. Leaders state what we're trying to achieve. It, it, it's about putting, getting the decision made at the right level and then making, and then whoever's the decision maker making the decision right. Those are the two steps. Okay. So I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit because I don't think you've ever had this exact experience, but how would intent-based leadership work in a scenario, for example, how would you lead a cyber attack response team? So there's been some kind of a data breach. There's a whole bunch of uncertainty. Uh, the organization, is, it's, it's, it's an, about as existential a crisis as an organization can get itself into short of actual physical kinetic warfare. And now you've, you've now got to deal with the situation. Um, most organizations would default to a very kind of command and control type of uh, response to something like that because that's the knee-jerk reaction. How would you deal with something like that using intent-based leadership? Yeah, so you're basically saying I'm standing on the start line of the London Marathon and the gun goes off. How would I prepare to run the marathon? Okay, if, if that's happening, you're already screwed. You, you just Because <laughs> you need to build the muscle in the day-to-day -day operations for the team to state intent. I would, so on a fire, uh, the closest thing I can come up with is an actual fire on a submarine. Okay. So the way we used to do fires on submarines is we signed every, assigned everybody a position. And then we have what was called a damage control, control central, which received reports and then directed people to do things. So in other words, we pushed information to an authority who assimilated everything and then sent direction back out to the team. Hose team two report with the engine room hose to engine room upper level. Chief Jones take the thermal imager and report to the aft reactor compartment, whatever. The way we flipped it was we said, give instructions, not intent. So the way it sounded in the Santa Fe afterwards was a thermal imager is needed in the aft reactor compartment. A hose is needed here. The fire is expanding from second deck to third deck. We just continuously flow of information and the crew, the person who was closest to the thermal imager then just grabbed it and ran to, to where the thermal imager was needed. So what happens in these crises is everyone, first of all, we need to understand what our procedures are that we're gonna execute. And then everyone just starts taking action within those guidelines and stating what they are. We're reconfiguring the server. We're doing this, we're doing this. And what now happens is where I'm sending a press release, I'm calling the client, I'm notifying the authorities, whatever it happens to be. And all these things, there's so much to happen so fast. If I get 10 people aligning and coordinating their action, 
those things all happen. Now, if you haven't prepared the team, then yeah, you're going to find yourself in a position where you're going to have to go and give orders. Okay, now do this, shut down. I don't know what it is. Like, if you haven't built the muscle, you're not going to be able to do it in the moment of crisis. And so it's the stay in, day out muscle building where people take action, they vocalize it. This is the thing that's, that people probably don't normally do. That's fundamentally about trust. Um, and I think there's a huge amount to unpack there. But uh, yeah, no, I think that's a good answer. And it's uh, obviously there's a lot more to that. And, and it's definitely, your, your book is definitely worth reading. Yeah. I, I know, David, um, we're very uh, intrigued if you wouldn't mind sharing a story with our listeners um, around flashlights, if that uh, gives you enough to go on. Because uh, when we saw that, we were like, oh, we really hope David is happy to share. Yeah. I... Um... So when I became the submarine commander, one of the things you do is you walk around, you have a flashlight and you kind of shine it into the little dark corners in the bilge to see what's down there and all the monsters, rust that's growing down there. And when I showed up on the Santa Fe, they gave me this weak flashlight. You kind of had to tap it a few times and make <laughs> for the light to come on. <laughs> I was like, this is no good. A government issued weak batteries. So I went to Home Depot and I bought this huge mag light and you basically had to call the power company before you turn it on because that <laughs> took so much energy and it was bright as the sun. And so I could walk around, we could at least see things, but it became a metaphor for, for not being afraid to look in the dark places. That's brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing. Yes, David, thank you so much for taking the time to, to speak with us today. We always like to end our episodes by asking our guests uh, three simple questions. So, David, looking back over your career, what's the one insight that you'd wish you'd learned sooner or maybe that you could go back and tell your younger self? I think I would have liked to spend more time in horizontal leadership. So what I, what I mean by that is I spent 99.9% .9 of my time in vertical leadership, which is take what the organization needs or my boss needs and translate that to the team achieving it. So in other words, it was up and down, boss, team, organization, team. And uh, submarines tend to be very insular. So there's a natural tendency to go this way, but I would have done a better doing horizontal leadership, which is talking to the submarine next to us or the department head or the, the persons to my left and right. And I think, I think that's really, really good advice because so many organizations now are cross-functional, but I mean, what you're talking about, there's not just the necessary cross-functional uh, discussions and conversations, but even some of the things that are unnecessary in, in air quotes that uh, can add so much value and, and so much learning. Um, another question for you, what are you reading or listening to at the moment, apart from your own books, obviously, which I, I thoroughly recommend to our listeners, is, is there anything that you'd recommend for our listeners? I'm doing a lot of reading on ego right now. And because that's my next project, and I'm working with a researcher. So I'm re so for example, I just read Chatter, 
which is about the voice in your head and how you can control it. And, and there's a, a key concept in there called distant self-talk. In other words, when you're keeping your journal, for example, don't say, well, I had a bad day. Say David had a bad day. Like an interesting life hack. It's a good way to kind of sidestep your, your ego. Yeah, so we're working on this as uh, for this book to see what kind of tools we can give people. Oh, that's great. I look forward to it coming out. We'll have to add that to our reading list. <laughs> and, and look into the future, maybe this time next year. Do you think the hybrid working model have enabled more of that intent-based leadership? Yeah, I. what we see is organizations, again, when the crisis hits, when COVID hits, if you don't have a team that is already comfortable operating by it's just taking, stating intent, taking action, stating intent, taking action, it's going to be really hard to develop. And we've had stories from clients who had to reconfigure on the fly. So it was a big bang. And they had a plan that in 10 years, 10% of their people would be working remotely. <laughs> something some ambitious goal like that and basically they got 100 percent of the people working remotely in 10 days and but it didn't happen in the way that it would in a highly controlled in the permission-based way because remember permission is about stopping action it happened because they just said just go make it happen and people would state their intents and these guys have been working on it and, and it just happened. So there's, I worry when people say, oh, well, when's COVID gonna be over? Like there's gonna be some, we're gonna go back to something. Like, I don't know, COVID will never quote be over, kind of fade away, but there's gonna be some other disruption because the world is so interconnected now. Every disruption now cascades throughout the system, whether it's earthquake or an oil thing or a virus, so it's going to be something else. So you need to prepare now for when it is. When the helicopter shows up over the submarine, it's not the time to train your crew to bring the SEAL team on board. It's, you're too late. You're going to be a dinosaur at that point. So that's, um, it's a muscle. And that's what we are trying to help organizations do. That's fantastic. And thank you so much, David, for coming to speak with us today. And say for example our listeners want to learn more or they want to um you know have you in to speak in an event at their company for example where can they learn more yeah our program is called intent-based leadership we have a website and then on youtube we have a whole bunch of little videos like 400 of them uh, on the youtube channel leadership nudges these are just little reminders for leaders we think because leadership we view it like a language or a sport it's about giving people reminders of the behaviors that they already want to try that's fantastic thank you so much and thank you so much to all of our listeners for joining us on this week's fishy business it's been a pleasure having you with us if you've enjoyed our podcast please do leave us a review on spotify itunes or wherever you're hearing this and feel free to follow us on our twitter page at mimecast if you'd like to learn more about what we discussed today until next time 